The following is brought to you in part by MFC Studios. The views of the show's host and guests do not necessarily reflect those of the management, owners, or staff of this radio station. And now, it came from the radio. Welcome once again to Game from the Radio, the official of the Big Apple Con. This is your host, Mark Torres, speaking. With me via virtual distancing, of course, we have none other than L-Man Jenny Feldy. Yappa toy, yappa what? Yappa what's in the building? <laughs> we have senior correspondent Charlie Saladino. Hello, fun seekers. And we have fishy sarcasms, Dominic Destination, and Toronto. You wait to pay, everybody. You wait to pay. So on <laughs> this week's show, where's my list? I lost my list. On this week's show, we're going to have some stuff, which I'm trying to find. Oh, here it is. We're going to have some, we're talk about some things, and we'll chit-chat, and then uh, we'll throw it to Jaybird and Lee, and yes, there we're we gonna go. Yes, we're going to have a new Jaybird and Lee segment, and uh, L-Man Jenny Feldy interviews filmmaker Samuel Ashkenze. Is that right? Ashkenazi. Ashkenazi. I was not even close. Close. Yeah. <laughs> well, that gentleman just named <laughs> after know. an entire subculture of Jewish people. Yeah. Yeah, I yeah. know. So, but before we do any of that, we have to take it away with the news. It's morphin' time! The news is brought to you in part by the fine folks of sci-fi.radio. That's sci-fi for your Wi-Fi. As well as the fine folks of the Big Apple Con, which we are the official radio show of, celebrating over 20, I guess, seven years now of comic bookness and pop culture stuff. For more information, go to www.bigapplecc.com. See, today is the 30th, so the next convention, when this airs, will be this coming weekend. It'll be a Saturday, the 17th. So um, there's, uh, no, it's the Big Apple Christmas Con, and the headliner is Brian O'Hallahan from Clerks 1, 2, and part three and i want to give out shout-outs for our patreons of which there are danny grillo award-winning director jared brill kyle horn millie portez news a famous risen media Unjikun, shadow rabbit art yasmin array rosa and the hurricane you guys want to have your own little shout out go to our website www.kingfair.com little button on there it takes you right to our patreon page just for a dollar a month you got a shout out on our show we would greatly appreciate it all right, so as we always do, we're going to start with the sad news, and I have to say we have so much sad news oh, that yeah. I actually had to cut it and put the rest of the next recording show. Oh, we my don't know God. what's going to happen between now and next week. So I know, so that's why, because we had like 12, 12 items, so I had to, I had to cut it and then wow. uh, be on the next recording. Yes. It's been a rough 2022. So starting off, we have actor, artist, and author. Leslie Samuel Phillips uh, died recently after a, quote, long illness. Uh, in, over, in his over 70-year career, Leslie appeared in a slew of movies and TV series, of which there are too many to name here. His most recent and most famous role would be that of the voice of the Sorting Hat in the Harry Potter films. So mm. if you guys were uh, fans of the Harry Potter films, he was the talking hat. No. I wouldn't you... go so far as to say I was a fan, but I did watch them. Okay, Jen, you watch those? Honestly, I just saw one, but it was with a guy I liked who just talked the whole time and made crazy comments. So I ended up hating it, thinking that only idiots watched it because it seemed like only idiots and small young people in the theater were in- intrigued by it, intrigued by the guy I was with comments. So yeah, as, as if you found what I just said to be horribly boring and terrible, that's kind of how I feel about right. Harry Potter. Uh- Charlie, Harry Potter, yes, no? Um, yes, I saw them all. So you know who am I talking about, the hat, talking hat? Oh, yes, sure, right. sure. So uh, he was 98 years old. God bless. Um, let's see. More sad news. Comic book artist Carlos Pacheco also died recently from amyotropic lateral scoliosis, more commonly known as ALS or Lou Gehrig's disease, which is a progressive neurodegenerative disease. Uh, Carlos gained notoriety during doing work for Marvel UK and then transitioned to working for the American branch of Marvel and then DC Comics, working on such books as Avengers Forever, JLA, JSA, Virtue and Vice, Flash, X-Men, uh, Legacy, 
uh, Fantastic Four, Superman, Green Lantern, Captain America, Final Crisis, and Age of Ultron, just to name a few. Um, of note, Collis was part of his own creator-owned series called Arrowsmith, alongside writer Kurt Busiek, um, which the sequel series was one of his last published books. He was a young 60 years old. Now, I've never met Carlos. I did like his art style. Uh, Dominic, did you ever get a chance to meet Carlos? I don't think I got a chance. No, unfortunately. He has such a unique visual style. It's like certain artists yeah. in the industry, you just you can just pick out of nowhere. And you know, like Simonson has like that unique style, and, and Carlos mm-hmm. also had that unique style. It was very, uh, very good. And it's very sad that he uh, passed away. He's very clean, very painterly. Yes, yes. So even more sad news. Uh, comedian Leo Anthony Gallagher Jr., more famously known as just Gallagher, also died recently from organ failure stemming from, quote, multiple heart attacks suffered over the course of his life. Uh, Gallagher had a career that spanned over 30 years, uh, with his most famous bit being the Sledge-O-Matic, where he smashed various items, most famously watermelons, live on stage. Uh, senior correspondent Charles Saladin, you're a fan of Gallagher. Oh, yeah. It was the funniest uh bit to watch with the sledgematic because he would uh, eventually he would give raincoats to all the people in the first row uh prior to smashing the watermelon wow. and uh it, it was um you had to hear his bit about that it was it, it was hysterical um just um it was a, a pun from the early uh 70s popeel stuff uh when Christmas started coming. Oh, we get hit with a barrage of this. Makes a great Christmas gift, you know. And uh, Dan Aykroyd used to um, used to pun that also. Uh, I forgot uh, that thing he did with the bass and the blender or something like that. But uh, yeah, so Gallagher, um, I recently saw a video of him, his first appearance on Johnny Carson. And wow. uh, he was a crazy guy, crazy guy. What about you, Dominic? Are you a fan of uh, Gallagher? I remember watching him when I was younger, and we like got cable, I suppose, for the you know when it was still cable was still young and Comedy Central, and they would play a lot of Gallagher specials. I thought he actually, as a stand-up, was pretty good. Yeah, that was the thing. Um, like, I remember he was a very good wordsmith. Like the stand-up itself was yeah. really good, and I found that the Sledgematic was just like the little bonus thing. Like that wasn't his main thing, but everybody always talks about the Sledgematic. That's, that's what they remember him for. But it's like he, I thought he actually did some said some really good observations and some really good comedy. So it's unfortunate that he was just like pigeonholed as like a prop comedian with the watermelons. Yeah, Elman uh, Jayanfeldi, are you familiar with uh, Gallagher? No, but I, I should no, just just move on. But uh, maybe he just had anger management issues, and that's why he had to smash watermelons. So since it, you... it wasn't even the act, it was just like oh, I got this anger management, <laughs> but I really like stand up, but I really want to tour, but people really really pissed me off, but I just want to smash a watermelon. It's like yeah, I'll just smash a watermelon. Maybe that's how it came about. Well, since you are a uh, stand-up comedian, uh, Jen, you should check out uh, his stuff also, as I mentioned before. Did you ever get a chance to check out Judy Tenuta's uh Yes, act? and I was thinking that the whole time, and I love it. Yeah. yeah. So we got more sad news. I'm going to burn through these as fast, burn through these as, fast as possible. Uh, director. Uh, he, oh, he was 76 years old. Um, still more sad news. Director and screenwriter Kazuki Omori also died recently from leukemia. Kazuki is perhaps best known for his Godzilla films in the 90s, starting with Godzilla vs. Biollante, which I love, moving on to Godzilla vs. King Ghidorah, which I love, uh, Godzilla vs. Mother, eh, and Godzilla vs. The Destroyer, which is the one where, uh, spoiler alert, Godzilla died in the 90s. So uh, he was 70 years old. I know, uh, Charlie, you're a Godzilla fan, right? Oh, yeah. I met the guy in the suit, remember? Yes, yes. That was the original actor. Did you ever see the 90s uh, Godzilla movies? Um. No, by that time I was, you know, I was with ABC, so it was very uh, rare that I watched movies anymore because I was hardly home. Fair enough, fair enough. Uh, Dominic, you're a Godzilla fan? Yeah. (laughs) Elman Jenny Felby, Godzilla fan? The things that you create will destroy you. So I'm surprised that Godzilla didn't destroy him. I mean, and also, side note, would you rather go from leukemia or Godzilla? Huh. Huh. Hmm. 
I don't. Uh, you, you stumped me. I children don't at home. Children at home. <laughs> right in. Right in. How would you rather die? Being attacked by Godzilla or leukemia. Uh, <laughs> moving on. <laughs> he was seventy years old. Um, yet even more sad news. Moving along. Actor and comedian uh, Gershon Merton Friedman, known professionally as Bud Friedman, also died recently from heart failure. Uh, Bud was the founder of the Improvisational Comedy Club, which opened in 1963 in Manhattan, and was instrumental in launching the comedy careers of Rodney Dangerfield, Richard Lewis, Robert Klein, Jay Leno, Andy Kaufman, Freddie Prince, a senior, uh, Steve Lanzenberg, and Jimmy Walker, just to name a few. He was 90. So he was the guy behind the guy. And I have heard his name being spoken a lot, uh, Bud Friedman. Uh, senior correspondent, Charles Haldane, are you familiar with that name? Uh, yeah. And uh, just to uh, mirror what you just said, he was uh, instrumental in in like just amazingly finding this talent and uh, getting it out there. Yeah. So, so let's see. Um, Dominic, you're familiar with uh, Bud Friedman? Not particularly, no. Yeah, man, Jenny Feldy, should I ask or should we move on? Now I'm familiar. You just told me. So, yeah, of course I'm familiar. You just told me. Like, nice. what do you think I've been? You think I have dementia? Yeah, I remember. Of course nice. I remember. You just told me. Very nice. Very nice. Uh, so, now we hit the last bit of sad news. Woo! Um, actor Robert Clary also died recently of natural causes. Oh, my God. Yeah. And I guess uh, Santa Cruz Bond Choice Young didn't know who this is. Um, yeah, you, you know what? Um... You know what's funny? Uh, since the um, Buck Rogers in the the twenty fifth century uh, convention at the yes. Wintercon, yes, and I made friends with uh, Gil Luna. Oh, uh, she, yes, yeah. She always updates on people that that she knows that goes, and I was like one of the first to know. And it was very sad because uh, he was quite a talent behind the uh, scenes uh, as well as in front of them. So um, while Robert has a reoccurring role on daytime soaps uh, such as Days of Our Lives from 1972 to 1987 and The Bold and the Beautiful from 1990 to 1992, Robert is perhaps best known as Corporal Louis LeBeau on the sitcom Hogan's Heroes, which ran from 1965 to 1971. Uh, he was 96. So I'm going to ask uh, Stina Carlos, were you a fan of Hogan's Heroes by chance? Um, I... I... Yeah, there was a time where I was, and then I think it got too old for me because it was the same same bits. But there are very classic uh, moments from that show. But yeah, he, he was great in it. He was as well as, uh, you know, what's his name? He used to kiss everybody on uh, Family Feud, Richard oh, Dawson. Richard Dawson. Yeah, yeah. It, was, it was quite a uh, mixed bunch they had there. All right, fair enough, fair enough. So let's see. So that's it for the sad news. And so this is appropriate next bit of news. This is from the, that's one way to transition from the sad news department, department. Um, none other than actor and comedian Kevin Farley, who is the late uh, Chris Farley's brother, has teamed up with Z2 Comics to create Growing Up Farley, a biographical, biographical, biographical comic book that will explore the lives of the two brothers. Kevin says, laughter was always a big part of growing up Farley. I'm excited to partner with the team at Z2 Comics to share all the humor and humanity of growing up with my brother, Chris, in the 1970s Madison, Wisconsin, and a huge influence our dad had on our decision to go into comedy. Uh, the book centers around both Farley brothers as they struggle to work their way up the comedy, up, up the stand-up comedic ranks of the Midwest from their earliest summer camp performances to Chris's big break at the Chicago Second City Theater, which is SCTV. Um, the book also reveals the pivotal role their father played in steering the sons into comedy. Uh, Growing Up Farley will be offered in a standard, deluxe, and a platinum edition that comes packaged in a slipcase that includes a scotch oil branded hat and pens. Uh, for those of you who don't know, <laughs> or care for that matter, Scotch Oil is the Farley family's oil business. Um, all versions wow. are slated for release in fall of 2023. Now, I think it's odd to have a comic book about a guy growing up in his lifetime. I, I, don't, I, don't, I don't visualize that being the best medium for this. What do you guys think? Maybe it was such a bad idea that that was the only media that accepted. <laughs> all right. <laughs> I'm just saying. All right, so you think it's a bad idea? Oh, Dominic. God. God. Dominic, nothing? 
I've I've heard of worse comic ideas. Lisa Pinge is not involved. <laughs> okay. Look, if, if they could make Axe Cop, they can make anything. That's that's very true. And they made a cartoon of that. Mm-hmm. Um, what about you, Ellen? Jenny Feldy? What do you think? If it's a bad idea, it's a great idea. I want to watch it. <laughs> yeah. All right. So you want to read the comic? You, you would you buy? One of those comics, or would you just read it? Uh, hold on. Bye, bye, bye. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Bye, Miss America. I try to save money here. But, you know, would I watch it? Oh, yeah, for sure. Okay. I mean, would I watch, you know, your sister down the street? Sure. Would I buy her? No. You know? Okay. Yeah. All right. So moving on. Uh, from the Six Seasons and a Movie department. None other than Peacock has ordered a movie based on a TV series community, bringing back the original stars, Joel McHale, Danny Pudi, Alison Brie, uh, Jillian Jacobs, Jim Rash, and Ken Jeong, all reprising their roles in the show since it's been canceled in 2015 with the original creator, Dan Harmon, as the film's executive producer and writer. For those of you who don't know, or care for that matter, the show centered around a washed-up lawyer who had to go back to community college and made a wide range of wacky characters in a very meta and deconstructing sitcom. Um, they had it was a very weird show because they had an episode that he was dreaming, and they had a GI Joe episode where they were all GI Joe characters, and they got Michael <laughs> Bell, who, who we've met, uh, to do mm-hmm. the voice of Duke back then. They had an animated Christmas episode. Did I interview was, Michael Bell? Wasn't that me? Yes, you did. That was you. There we go. Yep. Um, they had an animated Christmas episode where um, it was like the the claymation type thing. There was an episode Rankin, where they were all Rankin puppets. Bass. Yeah, they were, it was, yeah, there was an episode where they were all puppets. There was an episode where there were video game characters, and I thought that was one of the funniest ones. Um, they also had a multiverse episode and a Dungeons and Dragons episode, which was pulled due to quote-unquote blackface, which a lot of people uh, said was one of their best episodes, and it was about depression and how to resolve that. So it was a really good episode. You know how you can resolve depression? By uh, doing blackface. Ah, uh, okay. Because uh, how can you be the I was scared. I was scared it's so for a funny. second. It's so we funny. It came from the radio. Do not endorse any <laughs> racial stereotyping or the use of blackface in any way. Um, the show ran for five Especially seasons. Especially for curing your depression. The show ran for five <laughs> seasons on NBC and then found its way to Yahoo streaming service only to end after one additional season. The exec says, <clears throat> we're incredibly grateful that 15 years later, we were able to deliver fans this promised movie and can't wait to continue this epic comedy for Peacock audiences. Community was light years ahead of its time and it premiered on NBC in 2009 and we're thrilled once again to visit the brilliant minds of Dan Harmon, Andrew Guest, and this impeccable cast. The franchise is the very definition of community. We're excited to bring the band back together and continue this journey for the beloved characters. Uh, what's interesting to note is that the show had a mantra going on uh, for it, which was always six seasons and a movie. Um, were you a fan of a community there, Charlie? No. <laughs> Dominic? No, I'm, I'm just kidding. I'm not familiar with it, so oh, right. I have no opinion of it. I did watch community a few times. Jillian Jacobs, very pretty. Allison Brie, they basically look alike. So uh, my thoughts on community is the casting director has a type in women and Allison Brie and Jillian Jacobs are the taste of the casting director. Wow. That's my thoughts on the show. Yeah. <laughs> okay. So. I personally am just impressed that we finally got to something that uh, Man over here knows. She knows some That's stuff. That's true. Um, so moving on from the That's a lot of nuts! Department. That is my favorite department. The new Black Panther sequel has held on to the number one spot in the domestic box office, pulling in an additional $63.8 million in ticket sale in its third week of release, beating out the new Disney animated film, Strange World, which came in at number two with a quote-unquote disappointing $18 million. For those of you keeping track, the new Top Gun sequel is still the highest grossing film of 2022 with $716 million, followed by the Doctor Strange sequel with $411 million. The aforementioned Black Panther is at number four with $369 million. I doubt it's going to be able to, to squeak out a win, uh, which leaves two other movies that I've been discussing for quite some time. We have Puss in Boots number two, which is a kid's film. Kid's films can go either way. And, mm. of course, Avatar 2. So we've, with about a month left for the, for the year, do you think either one of these two will be able to pull it out and beat Top Gun at its $716 million? Uh, what do no. you think? No. Uh, Charlie, is that, no, not going to happen. No, no, definitely not. All right, what I about- think Puss in Boots could win because something about well, like, like a 
porn type of film, but also about a traffic cop who puts boots on people's cars. I don't know. I've never seen anything like that. That's a different movie. That's a different movie. Puss in Boots. Yeah, the New York City traffic commissioner meets a nice woman. Whatever. Whatever. Poor Antonio Banderas. What about you, then, Tom? I mean, just the... If we're talking about the highest grossing film of the year yes of this no, I, I, it, it it basically it's top gun because puss in boots it could go either way by the way there's an illustration uh, a classic illustration named puss in boots of a naked lady in boots um but <laughs> I, I have things you know when you Man. drop 60 grand on an art education um <laughs> But Avatar 2 is coming out December 16th. How it's going to make that much money in 15 days to catch up to Top Gun, I doubt. Uh, it just, it, if the movie gets that much buzz, it is possible. It could be the fastest growing. I mean, look at look at Avengers. You know, it, mm. it made that money really. It was the fastest grossing movie of all time. It just was just churning out money after money after money every day. It kept on breaking every record. So it is possible. It's not probable, it's possible, but it's possible. Anything's possible. It, yeah. Yeah. You know, it's in the quote of one uh, imperial officer. It's it's possible, however unlikely. Right. Um. All right, I so. mean, and also, how many years has it been between the first one and now? A whole bunch. But then again, Top oh, Gun. That's a technical years. whole bunch. <laughs> uh, Top Gun, 30 years. Yeah. So 13. Well, there's a bit of a difference in that. Well, yes, yes. It's a, well, you remember how big Avatar was. People thought that was huge. It was going to be the next thing. And here we are, and it's not. Right. So. And you, you got to remember. Top Gun was a, a very original idea. Avatar was a idea that was, was over, done over and over and over again. You know, same same storyline. Yeah. Very true. Would you believe I also have never seen uh, Avatar? I believe it. It's possible. I haven't seen um, James Cameron's last two movies, which are just Avatar and Titanic. Have oh, you seen Have you seen Dances with Wolves? A little. Yeah. Is that basically Dances with Wolves with Blue People? No, it's it's not yeah. based on the same story. Same story. So, yeah. yeah same okay. story. Yeah. Pretty much, yeah. I mean, I kind of well, infer- what the story is about just from watching the, the trailers. It's It was a very bare minimum basic. Yeah, they say there's only seven stories. Well, they picked like the bare minimum of the seven to have the lowest common denominator, which also mm-hmm. might have been why it was so popular because it Could appealed be. to the, the largest fan base and the 3D pushed it over the edge. Yeah, okay. Uh, so fair. moving on from the, I just mentioned that department. Avatar it's 2. Official Disney Strange World is considered a box office bomb as it opened dramatically behind expectations, despite those expectations being lowered to between 30 to $40 million at the box office over Thanksgiving weekend. With a budget of $180 million, According to experts, the film is now projected to cost the studio at least $100 million by the time it leaves theaters. Oh, experts my God. That's say, a mere big show. <laughs> experts say normally at this time of year, a Disney family film is a big draw. It shows we're still recovering and adapting to the constraints of the mm-hmm. pandemic. Uh, this is a weak opening by Disney <laughs> animation standards. At a cost of $180 million plus marketing expenses, the film will finish in the red, even with good ancillary income. Um, of note, the film will not play in China or Russia due to the ongoing war in the Ukraine and will not play in the entire Middle East, Malaysia, and Indonesia due to the movie featuring a gay character that Disney flat out refused to censor and cut out parts of the movie to comply with the other country's guidelines. So they are standing their ground, and because of which, they lost a big bag of money. Oh, my God. You know, I got to say this. Yes. You know the way I feel about Disney and how upset I am when they fail. Yes. Um, But it always seems that they have the most intelligent um, explanation for idiocy. (laughs) It was a stupid idea. Just say, hey, it was a stupid idea. (laughs) You know, they got to build it up like, oh, it's not, you know, it's not our fault. It's. We think it was, but yeah, you're an idiot. <laughs> you made a stupid movie. Own up to it. Own that. 
All right, fair enough. All right, Don't so hold we- back. Tell us how you really feel, Charlie. <laughs> I, right. I, yeah, I like that. I, so we- yeah, I second that. So we got this last bit of news. So I'm going to see if I can squeeze it in. We have uh, about two minutes to go. So <clears throat> from the everyone gets a check department. I like that department. For a brief moment yes. in time. Twitter, Mark, where's my check? <laughs> it's in the mail. For a brief moment in time, Twitter, for a $8 fee, gave you a verified white check mark on your Twitter account with no other verification. Because the internet is the way it is, turns out that the unforeseen occurrence of people making fake accounts and then paying the $8 to have it verified was quick and quick and rampant with verified fake accounts such as LeBron James, Donald Trump, Nintendo, and even Jesus Christ, to name a few, were all posting and then in turn making news as people as well as certain news outlets were running stories without fact-checking or even verifying awesome. the information yeah. posted. Such as Nintendo of U.S., posted a picture of Mario holding up the middle finger. LeBron James said that he was officially requesting a trade from the Lakers. Pepsi tweeted, Coke is better. And the pharmaceutical company, uh, Eli Lilly, tweeted, we're excited to announce that that insulin is free now. Um, Twitter says, we are aggressively going after impersonation and deception, and users can still check to see why an account was verified or if they click and tap the badge instead of blindly retweeting. What are your thoughts on that there, Charlie? Uh, My thoughts on it is like... um... You know Jurassic Park? Yeah. When when he says uh nature will find a way. Yeah. You put something like this out, all, <laughs> all the people will find a way to abuse it. Exactly. Yeah. Human so beings get, will find yeah, a way. They'll find a way. All right. El Man Jenny, you have a final thought on this? It um, just goes to show you that basically the only real thing about any real person is in person and you can't any verified check mark isn't going to determine whether someone's real or not nothing's real on the internet nothing so you got a giggle i got a giggle out of you i heard it i heard the giggle you were like "Eh." i heard it (laughs) with that we're going to take our break and we'll be right back with came from radio Hi, you've heard my voice open and close the show. Now we want to hear your voice. If you have a business or product, you can record a commercial here. We offer 30 and 60 second spots. For more information, contact Mark at MFC underscore studios at hotmail.com. My neural net processor is linked to sci-fi.radio. It's sci-fi for my Wi-Fi. The more I listen, the more I learn. Now, back to our show. Hey, this is Jay Bird and Lee, and today we have special guest, Riley. Hello. Hey, what's going on today? Nothing much. Nothing much? Guess what we're going to talk about? The Long Island Comic Book Expo. Oh. Oh? (laughs) Yes, the panel that I was on, right? So we went to the Long Island Comic Book Expo in, in Melville, I think, at the Huntington Hilton. And this was a couple of weeks ago. It was a lot of fun. Uh, I was on a panel. It was called um, Comic Book Self-Publishing. Yep. Yeah. Is that all you have to say about it? Yeah. Oh, come on. (laughs) Did you like going to the show? Yeah, I did. Yeah? What was your uh, favorite part? Probably, well, are you talking about your panel or actually just being there? Well, being there first off, I mean, that was the... Probably just looking at the comic books or something. Looking at the comic books? Yeah. All right, you like the artwork there? Yeah. I also like, what's it called? Um, uh, there's this uh, tiny stand with some Legos in there. Oh, the Lego stand? You are a big time Lego guy, right? I know, you have a whole wall of Legos. We've got to get a big stand for you. Right? Yes? Yep. This is radio you're supposed to speak. <laughs> <laughs> so, all right. So, we walked around for a little bit. What was... um? We didn't get the big pretzel, right? No. Well, they, they, they just didn't look fresh. They didn't look fresh they to They looked you? like they'd been out there for a while. Well, I think you heat them up and it should be good, you know? Yeah, I don't think they're mushy. All right. Well, I don't think they were mushy either, but you're probably right. Did you see... But there was the guy who was drawing... um. What was that play? Uh, all the zombies. All the zombie posters. Did you like that? 
Yeah, they're cool. Yeah, which one was your favorite? Do you remember? Probably the one from the Good, the Bag, and the Ugly. Oh, the Clint Eastwood one. Yeah, yeah. that was good. He said that uh, the Clint Eastwood was actually hanging that in his house. Yeah. Isn't that cool? Yeah. And what about the guy? You know, it was funny. They had the Transformer guy there, too. Uh, Hot Rod, the voice of Hot Rod. Oh, yeah, that's true. And you didn't want to meet him? Yeah. Why not? I don't know. You don't know? All right. Well, we didn't get, feel like it. You get nervous with that kind of stuff? No. Yeah. No? All right. Okay, fine. Did you like going to the panel? Yeah. Did you like seeing your dad up there talking about self-publishing? Yeah. Yeah? Okay. I mean, I thought there was a nice turnout. They had a few people come in and out. Yeah, but kind of as funny as you would think. Yeah. You know, it was a last-minute thing, so, I mean, I want to thank, like, Mark, of course, for, uh, from It Came From The Radio, because he's the one who hooked me up with uh, that gig. Yep. You know? It was pretty cool, you know? Yeah, it was, yeah. Oh, come on. Did you learn anything from it? No, because the chair did most of the work. The chair? What do you mean the chair did most of the work? What do you mean? Didn't you, you say was... you wanted me to videotape you? Yeah, but the chair... So what, you didn't learn anything? You were just, like, sleeping while I was talking? Pretty much. Oh, come on. That's just rude. This is rude. Your well, dad for was... 50 minutes of it, I didn't really learn that much. Oh, come on. You didn't learn anything about self-publishing. The only part I learned was probably the Star Wars part when you are talking about the theme of it. Oh, the theme of, yes, with Mark Mass, right? Who was also my, uh, the, the co-host um, for that uh, panel. Yeah. Right? That's so funny. He was, he was great. He, was, he knew a lot of stuff about movies, and he's, he worked at Marvel, and he did a DC. lot of... DC? Yeah, he did a bunch of that kind of stuff, you know? I know you wrote, you drew a painting recently, or a drawing of Two-Face. Yeah. Who, what was it on top of? Tell me again. On a turkey for, it was like a project we had to do in school. You could draw... You have to color a turkey. You have to just disguise a turkey from people not eating it. And I did Two-Face on it. You did Two-Face on it. That's pretty crazy. And it came out really good. So you're starting to be an artist. Yep. Maybe you'll draw your own comic books one day. No? No. You don't, don't shake your head. You're supposed to be off radio. Oh, yeah. <laughs> you can <gotta> talk. <laughs> you know? All right. Well, you know, if you ever want to learn about publishing your own comic book, you could always talk to me about it. And since you missed everything... That I said because you let the camera go and you walked out of the room here and there, you know. Yeah. Was it was it fun to walk around? You got to see some characters, right? Yeah, that's true. Yeah, I, it was cool. Is that that photo thing? They were doing these photos of all the people dressed up and looked like they were going to put them in different situations. Yep. And what we didn't get to do the artist stuff, right? We could have drawn like sketches of the people that were. Yeah, but I didn't want to. Why not? I didn't feel like it. Oh, man. You got to do some of that kind of stuff. All right. So, basically, would you go back? No. Oh, come on. Really? Well, because it was like the smallest Comic-Con ever. If it was, if it was a lot bigger and you, you had the same panel, but you had a lot more people, I'd go back. Oh, pff, all right. Voice of a 10-year-old. But you did get to see a lot of cool comic hey, books. 11-year-old. Oh, yeah, 11-year-old. You did get to see a cool comic books, though, right? That's true. All right. Well, have a good day. We'll see you next time. Stay connected. Stay healthy. Bye. The Comic Book Depot has been in business since 1993. Your one-stop comic book shop for comics, gaming, and collectibles. The Comic Book Depot Club membership is $15 and gets you 15% off new comics, back issues, graphic novels, and 10% off comic book supplies. Located at 2847 Jerusalem Avenue in Wontaw, New York. Contact us on Facebook for curbside pickup because new comics are back. For more information, give Alan a call at 516-221-9337. The Comic Book Depot. Now, back to our show. You know, this is Elman. You're listening to It Came From the Radio. I'm here with Samuel Ashkenazi, a five times award winning screenwriter. Hello, and thank you for being here after all the technical difficulties. What? <laughs> no, thank you for having me. Uh, it's funny, you know, we, we met at my job, and I think you were getting audio equipment for this. So, yeah. like, I hope it's not the audio equipment that you no. bought that day. <laughs> no, it was a new phone, which uh, we almost <laughs> used. But all right, so. I did a little research. You wrote a novel in second grade. You wrote a book in second yeah. grade and you've written, uh, you've gotten five, at least five awards for different screenplays. And so, you're younger than me. I'm 38. You've got <laughs> younger than me. So how did you learn to write screenplays? How did you write, learn to write books? Like for anyone listening, how can they start writing and winning awards? Okay. So two different, two different things there. All right. Mm-hmm. So 
for me, the writing was kind of natural. Um, I was kind of living in a house that I couldn't really have friends over, okay. you know. Why? And, you know, it was it was just tough times growing up, you okay. know. Okay. And it, just, it wasn't conducive to, like, bring people over. Okay. Um, and I didn't really have any video games, and I couldn't really watch a ton of TV. Um, but both my parents, um, you know, are relatively creative people. Um, and they were you know, generally they, they do music, they draw, you know, they, they were always into creative things. And the one thing that I did always have access to is basically like word 2007, you know? So I just kind of like started typing one day, you know, I stole a laptop and I just, you know, I was just writing away. And like, you say you stole a laptop? For my dad, you know, oh, like I, stole, you know I, stole from I was like, okay, that's an interesting story, maybe. <laughs> Gangster is a, a steal laptops and you two win awards. <laughs> steal, but um, yeah, you know, so uh, I just kind of started writing, and then like, with, I think it was like second grade, um, I had kind of written a novel, it was like 150 pages, and like, I wouldn't say it was anything to like, you know bark at you know right. I mean there it, it wasn't like you know literary genius but I mean for a second grader writing 150 pages you know that is kind of like crazy yeah definitely so um I know 50 year olds that can't write one page so <laughs> you, you know it's writing's a skill you know it's you know everybody has their own skill um so does that but, give you, you the know, confidence in second grade you're like oh maybe I'm a good writer did that like make you think oh maybe I should stick with this or were you like no I suck I still suck. I definitely thought I should stick with it. Okay, okay. You know, I definitely thought I should stick with it. I didn't think that I was anything great, but I knew that I enjoyed doing it. You know, mm-hmm. it, it helped me like make sense of things, you know? So I kept writing and like third, fourth, fifth grade, um, I'm writing like these big kind of manuscripts and they don't have like a ton of structure. Like they kind of start out as novels and then they kind of like get very dialogue heavy and then they like kind of segue back into novels. And like, eventually my, my family kind of started taking notice and was like, you know, the dialogue in these is pretty good. You know, you ever, did you ever think about writing plays or movies? Mm. And that's when it kind of like started to click, right? you know, and I started like paying attention to TV a little bit more. I started paying attention to movies a little bit more and I, you know, when I'd catch them on and, um, then my dad was starting a business and he did this commercial and the guys came into the house with big cameras and they were shooting this commercial. Wow. And I was like, this is awesome. You know, oh, I was okay. like 10. What kind of business know? was it? Uh, he was doing like a computer repair business. I was like, don't tell me your dad's Tom Carvel. I always wanted to meet him. <laughs> <laughs> the Tom Carvel commercials <laughs> with the sugar boys. Gives you a gut, a fudge of the well. <laughs> or the Cambridge Paving Stone guy. I was um, like, wow. <laughs> but uh, no, so we, we did that commercial and like, I was immediately like kind of like hooked. And a few years later, I reached out to the people that did my dad's commercial and was like, can I PA? You know, right. could I do production assistance for you guys? And they had a studio in Deer Park. So, like, eventually, like, I just started going on shoots with them and kind of learning, like, the behind-the-scenes Did you say the name of them or no? Um, yeah, I mean, the place was JHD Productions. The guy yeah. that uh, gave me the opportunity there was Hugh C. Daly. He actually just recently passed away. Wow. Um, wow. But he was, he was a great guy. He did a lot of great work. Wow. Um, what did you learn as a PA from that? What time, I mean, I'm sure everything I've, I've been a PA, but what are like yeah, maybe I mean, top five things you learned like the first month? I mean, I don't know. You know, it was weird. I, you know, I'll say like we, there was a couple of shoots where we went away, which was pretty cool. I was like okay. 14, 15 years old at that point. You know, I was young. I was getting on. Set yeah. That's very really young, young to get on set. That's very cool. Yeah. Yeah. And like, you know, I just kind of learned, um, you know, like how everybody just fills a role on a set, you know, and that's like, you know, where they belong. Right. And, you know, that job is important. You know, I've seen, you know, jobs where it's like, you know, people think, you know, production assistance is so wishy-washy sometimes, but I've it seen- It can you know, be, and sometimes it's not. You know, whole yeah. sets really rely on their PAs. Yeah, yes. You know, so it's like, it kind of depends on the production that you're in. And it really teaches you how, you know, really valuable everybody is mm-hmm. in their roles mm-hmm. you know all those roles are necessary like necessary 
you know? Actually, I have a question for aspiring filmmakers. Yeah. So I'm surrounded by creatives and yeah. a lot of comedians, they want to make a movie. And then a lot of actors and models want to make movies and then people want to make movies. They want to do stand up, whatever. So yeah. I hear about, I don't know, at least once a week, I want to make a film. I want to make a film. And many of these people, um, they've never been on too many sets. And I feel like, I don't know, at least for me, if I was going to make a movie, which I've never officially made a short myself all by myself with my own team with no help. I've never done that yet. I feel like I would make it mandatory for someone to be uh, assistant director or a PA, a production assistant. I feel like how can you make your own film if you've never played those roles? Do you think it's crazy to make your own film without ever being an assistant director, production assistant? It's crazy, right? Oh yeah. You you need that experience. You absolutely need that experience. I it just, you know, just the little things that you learn on set, you know, make a, a, a shoot that much quicker when you know it on the next one. Right. You know, and all those little things add up to big things, mm-hmm. you know? So it's like, you also like, eventually, you know, if this is something that you want to pursue, you're going to be in those roles that you're watching, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. you know, as a PA. So it, it, it's beneficial, you know, to at least, you know, pick up, pick up a couple notes, you know, here right. and, then and just be like, okay, this is what this guy did. Did it work? Did it not work? You know, this woman over here, you yes. know, she did this thing. How did that work out for us as a production? You know, and it's like, I feel like, you know, as a PA, you kind of have this real opportunity to kind of silently learn and pick up like all the cues mm-hmm. uh, without really even being like taught directly, you know? Yeah. Yeah, no, definitely. And I guess follow question, which is, I feel like I'm going to know your answer. I've also have different friends and colleagues that want to make feature films without Mm -hmm. ever having made a short film. Do you think that's, I feel like you should make it, I don't know what, at least a few shorts before doing a feature, or can you just jump into a feature according to you? (laughs) Okay. So I mean, (sighs) hypothetically speaking, do these people have the budget you know, if money, um, say no. issue, yeah, yeah, if say money no. isn't an issue, you know, right. and you have the budget, you know, you have investors that are sitting there at right. the wings and they're like, we're going to, you know, invest in your project, you know, on a first timer, you know, yeah, you could probably get away with it. Will it okay. be at the same quality as it would have been if you had a directing experience before that? Probably not, okay. you know, okay. I had to ask. Um, but you know, if money is an issue, then you definitely need short films under your belt. Okay. Because, you know, if you are on a set with a budget, you need to know how to effectively spend that budget. True. And if you're doing a full feature length film, that's going to eat up money fast. Yeah, it, it does. Eats, it eats up money so fast. You so know? speaking so, of films, I want to yeah. go back to you rather than general questions. Sure. Uh, sure. Your film Fear, which I tried to order, but I only watched the trailer. Uh, okay. Yeah, but I, I am going to order it. It's only $2 no, yeah. on your website. I mean, like everyone can afford that. So it's about two club goers that return home to try a new street drug with horrifying consequences. Yeah. I have tried different drugs and supplements and legal drugs that have horrifying consequences. Tell me a horrifying drug story uh, that maybe is related or unrelated to the film. Because you know what? For anyone listening... It's very helpful to hear other people's horrifying drug stories because chances are you're not going to uh, exercise abstinence and you might try something, even Tylenol. I have horror stories with Tylenol. That's one of my worst ones ever. So, yeah. I mean, honestly, um, drugs are a focus in a lot of my writing. Um, okay. Drugs have affected me, my friends, my family in all different ways. Mm-hmm. Um, I could tell you, like, you know, funny horror stories and like actual horror stories. You Either know? one. Either you one. Know? Whatever but people I mean, can learn from, I feel like is great. Learn from is good. You know, yeah. I you know, going going back to fear and passion fruit, I mean both both films, although you know, distinctly different, mm-hmm. um, you know, both stories are very avoided if you can. Okay. You know, um, not to say that I'm like totally anti-drug, I'm not, but I've certainly seen enough people uh, really lose control um, and really, you know, kind of spiral out to some devastating effects sometimes. What kind of drugs? 
alcohol, cocaine, meth, pot. So I'll, give you, I'll, give you, <laughs> I'll give you a crazy story. Um, I won't name the person, but sure. I, I am going to share this, this tale because it's, it's probably one of the crazier ones um, that I've ever experienced. Okay. Right. Um, so I had a close friend and she was, uh, she was seeing somebody at the time who had a lot of access to various drugs. You know, he just kind of sold and dealt just to kind of make his drug habit free, Mm, you know, and their thing was that they had a lot of LSD. Oh my God. Yeah. A lot of LSD. Now, typically like you think of LSD as more of a party drug, right? That's not something that people get addicted to. That's not something that people like, you know, really kind of like spiral out of control into you know like not usually uh, no no well um they had so much they had so much abundance of it that they could really do it whenever they wanted and they did it basically for like a month straight oh my god okay and you know she ends up um really um in a devastating mental condition you know like to the point where you know she was sharing stories like I've watched people take my brain out of my head. Oh my God. And like, she believed that. She believed it. Like really believed wow. it. Like, she, she saw it, wow. you know? So how do you tell her that that didn't happen? She saw right, it. Right, right. You know, right. and she's not fully aware that she's like tripping. I mean, at one point, like she went to the hospital and she tripped for like 96 hours. Oh my God. You know, and it's like, think of how much that that affects a person, you know? I mean, being stuck in that status for such a long period Mm -hmm. of time Mm -hmm. and it really was a wake-up call that like these things are just not as safe you know as you think they are Mm -hmm. you know first off you just don't know what you're really getting most of the time no and as much as it's you know a blast which you know it definitely can be Mm -hmm. you know it to see that is also just, you know, a real time lesson of like, you know, if you keep doing this, you know, mm-hmm. moderation is key. Right. right. And moderation sometimes kills people or right. well, the lack I have of one drink a week, I get yeah. my immune systems killed. That's just, I have a weird yeah. body. I can't even do a drink a week. It sucks. I am um, not a drinker. I can't. I, I wish I could. I, you know, in, in like 10th grade, I like me and me and another friend, we were, we had this brilliant idea. We were like, we can't get hung over, you know, like we're just going <laughs> to drink. Okay. And, and we were wrong. <laughs> <laughs> well, at least you found out in 10th grade and not older, you know? Well, you know, it's funny. It was a great lesson to learn at that time. Learn it young. It kept me out of a lot of trouble for the next exactly. two years in high school. You know, yeah. I didn't drink a lot. Yeah. Um, really, if ever, honestly, after that oh, point. That's for a great. Long time. You know, and it was like, I didn't drink, I think, until like I was 21 after that, you know, and it was like, I couldn't even smell it. You know, I couldn't go near it. It was just like, I'd immediately get sick. There's more fun ways to have fun. Yeah, right. And you can lose your inhibitions by being on set. I feel like that helped me. I mean, I used to be really shy. You'd be on set if you go to enough sets and do enough stand up. Eventually, you're going to feel free saying almost anything to anyone. (laughs) Stand-up was great. I did stand-up. I was doing stand-up, like, right before the pandemic. I had, I had met a friend in a, in a college who loved doing stand-up. And I, you know, he was, he told me, like, you have a great, per- like, stage personality. Like, you should try coming with me sometime. And I did. And, you know, we, I kept doing, like, all these really small clubs, you know, mm-hmm. so you get, like, five, six people in the room, mm-hmm. you know, and it's, it's those Sometimes really awkward fun, though, small clubs. Because when it's that few, you can say almost anything, which I like. So there's yeah. a, there's a yeah. upside to that. Absolutely. I mean, they were always like, you know, they were always a group that pushed the envelope, okay. you know, so you'd always, you'd always be able to like say some like really, you know, um, on the edge, you know, on the line things and you could see how it plays, you know, I mean, they were, they were people that could definitely take it, you know, and uh, it was a, it was a great time. I miss doing that. But, you know, ever since the pandemic, they, they've shut down so many of the open mics. They're only just starting to come back now. Well, actually, if we knew each other, there was a lot of underground open mics and they were occurring all through the pandemic, uh, masked and unmasked. But actually, that's that's when I got into stand up more. And that was really? great because it was like 
yeah, it was great. I mean, the first show I think I did was Governors and it was a Zoom show. Yeah. So it's like, there's not even anyone in the room. So if I yeah. fail, it's like, okay, it's cool. It's a Governors because people seem to think that's cool. But also no one's really there. So no one's going to throw tomatoes at me. But sure. my last question before, because this is a short and sweet radio interview, sure. um, filmmakers. So there's Todd, the horror nerd. He made a post recently, not saying that all film festivals are scams, but showing that you know, it was a very long paragraph. And my takeaway is pretty much my thoughts on film festivals that um, a lot of young filmmakers, they go to film festivals thinking they're going to get agents or investors or notoriety and the the world's going to open for them. But my opinion, I have a more negative opinion on most institutions. And I've hosted a film festival. Um, love to go to them, love to watch the movies, love to you know meet the actors and interview all them. But I... I feel like it's, if I had to guess, it would probably be like three to 15% of filmmakers that actually go and 15% would be high, probably more like 3% actually get investors. So I was just was curious your opinions on the benefits of going to film festivals and also maybe how film festivals can be scammed or maybe how you've been scammed or thought they were more important than they should be. Well, Okay. This is all stuff that I'm, you know, I'm kind of learning along the way as well, Mm -hmm. right? So, I mean, I've definitely seen festivals where I'm looking at them and there just doesn't seem to be a lot of credibility there. Okay. Right. But also at the same time, right, like as an up and comer, you know, anything that I can get an accolade for, Mm -hmm. you know, is something that I could put on a resume. True. Right. So you kind of have to like weigh these decisions sometimes, you know, like the first the first award that I won in this cycle for Passion Fruit, which, you know, you know, segueing to Passion Fruit right now, you know, during the pandemic, I had, I had written this script called Passion Fruit, which is basically what's being promoted right now. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I had kind of uh, pumped this thing out in like almost one sitting. I mean, I locked myself in my room done one day and just like pumped out like 60 pages. Right. I was wondering how Yeah, it was, it was just there was a whole lead up to that. I had written a show during the pandemic and I was like certain I could get it sold. Uh, And I called a production company that I know would want it. And they answered and they had me on the phone for like three weeks, kind of leading me on to believe that they might, you know, pick this pitch up only to like eventually come back. And it turns out that I've been talking to this intern the entire time. uh, You didn't know it was nobody that had could help you. He was, you know, he was, he was an intern to somebody rather large okay. and I'm not going to, I'm not going to say who, but I mean, right. like he was somebody that was, you know, an intern to somebody really well-connected, you know, okay. and he was okay. like, it's on his desk. It's on his desk. It's on his mm. desk. And then he oh, then picked uh... up the phone and was like, I'm so sorry. Like, I didn't realize there was a rule that I couldn't, you know, give him a pitch and I'm so sorry, but like, I, I had to delete it. And oh my God. Yeah. I was devastated. Because I had been like certain that this was going to happen, and um, I I locked myself in my room and just wrote this script. And you know, this script um, something felt good about it, like right from the start. You know, the fact that just so much of it came out all at once, it was just kind of you know the universe like telling me like this yeah. is what I'm to lead with right now. Right. You know. So starting in January, I'd, I'd gotten it copyrighted by that point. The first festival of the year was this thing called Airflix. You know, definitely not a super legitimate festival. You know, I mean, it's only been around a year. Okay. Um, you know, they've only given out like a handful of awards. But, you know, they were looking for submissions and it was relatively inexpensive. And I was mm-hmm. like, all right, you know, let me submit it. And it just so happens that the award date was my birthday. Oh, interesting. And I submit with it, like, hey, like, you know, the award is also my birthday. Like, (laughs) it would be the best birthday gift ever if you awarded me, like, best, you know. Oh, my God. And they did, you know. And all was just kind of like, oh, this makes sense. You know, this is exactly where I'm supposed to be. And, like, sure, you know, is that, like, a huge name festival yet? No. But, you know, who knows, you know when you have, when you have festivals like this, the point is that they find the up-and-comers and that's how they get their recognition. Mm-hmm. So maybe you're just one of the up-and-comers, you know? How old are you? 23. You're 20, yeah, you're 23. This is, I mean, I don't know, I'm 38. 
I feel like I talk to people in their 50s and 60s, and some of them are not even where you're at right now. So to me, here, here's my little intuition or, or big intuition. Um, all these festivals and you know, some most of them or any award or even relationship, you can say, it might not really mean much, but it's guiding you to where you want and need to be. So for me, I've worked with so many different producers or actors or agencies, whatever. And it's not that each one had so much importance, but they showed me what to do and what not to do and what's important. And then what I'm good at and what I'm not good at. So that's what I would take away from this. So we'll close on this. Um, I'd like to continue this, but final thoughts for where can we find you social media and your final thought for this very short interview. And where yeah. can we find you? Socials. Okay, so socials, you could find everything Scareworks. I'm Scareworks everywhere. I'm Scareworks Films on Twitter. I'm Scareworks on Instagram. Um, you could find my portfolio, scareworks.net. Um, we are having a campaign right now. Um, if this airs before uh, October 8th, please find us on Indiegogo.com. Um, it's under Passion Fruit Nick's Story. We are shooting a prequel to that screenplay, trying to get investors for the larger script. Um, but this is going to be like a short, almost episode featuring one of the characters. Okay. Um, we do have a couple of announcements, actually. Um, joining our cast is Lee Simmons, um, really awesome uh, actor, local independent actor. Um, he's been such things as like scorned, love kills, and usual suspects. Mm-hmm. Um, we also have a new perk available on our campaign. On Indiegogo, you get all these perks. Depending on how much money you donate, you get mm-hmm. something back. Um, we have a new perk as of tonight called Hallucinate. Um, the Hallucinate perk um, gets you a blooper reel and uh, audio commentary, um, as well as a digital copy when you get the film. Um, so hopefully um, we'll see some donations. Um, we are looking for a little bit more. We've already raised over $3,000, which is incredible. That is um, Yeah, you know, the first- For those first- Kickstarters, it is, yeah. Yeah, you know, I mean, that's how you get it off the ground these days. You know, I've seen a lot of people having success with that. So mm-hmm. hopefully we could just get this thing, you know, off the ground and moving. And so far, really, the footage is coming out very nice. Or you could do what some people do is they basically just sell uh, the roles. Like, oh, you want to be in the movie? Pay $400 and you can be like the doctor. Mm-hmm. I mean, that is a business model I've yeah. seen. It's, you know, we're not going to see it all over the place, but uh, it's an idea. I'm not suggesting it. But it's like, hey, because, you know, usually the old model was you want to hire me as an actor, you got to pay me. Right. But yeah. It's like, how about you have the actors pay you? You make four hundred to a thousand dollars an actor. Now you have 10 actors paying a thousand dollars. You have ten thousand dollars and the actors are paying you to produce yeah. a movie about them. How about yeah. that for genius? I've, you know, I've been seeing stuff like that and it's crazy, like, you know, how the film industry adapts, you know, Mm -hmm. this is like a constantly adapting industry and people just find work in all these new ways now, you know, and I think that's like the one benefit out of like all the social media of it is like, there's so much opportunity to create now, you know, even on this, even on this campaign, you know, I had somebody reach out to me from Venice, Italy, you know, and they're like, um, you know, they were like, listen, like, I really want to score this campaign. Venice is in Italy, right? I'm not an idiot. Yeah, okay. Um, well, it could be, it could be California. Uh, no, no, it's not like California. Oh, well, but, I've, um, I've been to Venice. I actually didn't like it, but. Yeah. Um, but, you know, he this a lot person, of water. Like, reached out from across the world, you know, and they were like, I'd love to score your movie for you. Wow. You know, and it's like, where did that come Would from? Would you consider you know, so, it? Would you want to work absolutely. with someone that far away? Maybe. Oh, Maybe. absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, like, you know, they're, they're an artist too. They're looking to do something that they're, that they care about, you know, and if that's something that they're. Just though if they mess up, you're going to have to go all the way to Venice and dig their head in the water. <laughs> and on that yeah. note, we're going to wrap up the next segment. So thank yeah. you so much. Um, you. Check him out. Scareworks. Uh, I think we'll see him in the next. This is my bet. We'll give you a little psychic reading. I'm a trained psychic. I think in the next 10 years and before that, within that, we're going to be seeing a lot more and we're going to seeing him advance. So let's see. I hope I'm right. And I'm, I don't know. I'm a little bit of a talent agent. I've, I've picked people out and then like 
10 years later, I'm like, oh, I knew that 10 years ago. But, you know, everyone knows everything in hindsight. So on that note, back to more. It came from the radio. Ever wanted to enter the world of comics but didn't know where to start? Worry not, true believers. We at the Comic Book School may just have the answer to your questions. Created by comics veteran Buddy Scalera, the Comic Book School is a free online educational resource that helps rising creators learn the craft and business of making comics through resources like forums, interviews, publication opportunities, publisher guidelines, and step-by-step -step blog posts. For more info, please visit our site at www.comicbookschool.com. Be sure to join our forums and follow us on social media while you're there. We'll see you on the message boards. If you had any honor, you would listen to Sci-Fi.Radio, the sci-fi for your Wi-Fi. Kapla! Now, back to our show. So that about does it for this week on the Came From the Radio. Join us right here any week on this radio station. If you miss any part of this show, tough. go to our newly revised website, www.itcamefromradio.com. The archives will be up in a week or so. Check us out on such places as btd.radio, sci-fi.radio, indievolt.com. Check us out on our places such as Facebook, Instagram, YouTube page, Twitter. And always follow the cost-benefit ratio. If the benefits outweigh the costs, do it. If the costs outweigh the benefits, don't do it. Or just Google, it came from the radio. And we'll see you next week. You've been listening to It Came From The Radio with Mark Torres. The views of the show's hosts and guests did not necessarily reflect that of the management, owners, or staff of the station. We now return you to your earthly scheduled broadcast.